Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. We've got Mary Pula from my local market here in Niantic, Connecticut. Mary's been really in New London County mostly your career or? Southeastern Connecticut. Southeastern Connecticut. Broad. South, I like, I, that's my style too. Keep it super broad, right? Broad. Connecticut, right? And then if it's not in my area, there's always an opportunity to refer. But I've known Mary for a long time. My parents have worked with either you or your partner, you know, mm-hmm. who's, who's been a partner of yours long time. Before I was born, yeah. right? Like for a, a long, long time. With the dinosaurs. Now <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But what I would say is from day one, when I came into this industry, I knew that you were at the top and somebody I was going to look up to and learn from. And you've been very gracious with your time, including this podcast. And I really want you to start because anybody that's listening that doesn't know who you are, just start with who you are, how you got into the industry, why maybe you got into this crazy business of real estate. And let's just start there to get a little context of who Mary Pula is. Oh my gosh, how long is this podcast? I know, well, we can go as long as you we're want. We're talking, I'm entering 34 years now. So um, it's funny because I was saying, gee, I wonder what we're going to talk about. But I have to kind of roll back time for that. But essentially, I I entered real estate. It'll be 34 years ago this upcoming year. And um, I came to Connecticut grossly overeducated and underexperienced, like many people getting out of college. And um, I came to a new state to boot because I was from Long Island. Oh, Most people, that's right. Once in a while, they'll catch that. In that's my, right. They'll catch that in my voice. Yeah. But um, And I came up to Connecticut. And uh, I frankly, I did a few of the conventional type of uh, jobs just setting uh, set my pace. And uh, it was much more limiting here than I expected, to be honest with Why you. Why did you make and that I, jump from Long Island? Well, I was actually, um, I was engaged to a fellow working at Millstone is the long and short of the story. Makes sense. And then I wound up here. So I left all of my spheres of influence, all my education after I graduated on Long Island, essentially. So when I came up here, I sort of followed the traditional college trend of trying this type of work. I was a political science economics major. And I have a master's in public administration. So that and sixty put me on the subway, right? <laughs> so I wound up in Hartford the most of the time. And I was running around Hartford doing some banking work, political work, but kind of a combo of everything. And um, I wound up circling back many times unbeknownst to myself when I realized and stopped and assessed into sales-related type positions. Uh, people would say, you'd be good in sales. And I'm like, wait a minute. I need to pay my college education. I need to have a real uh, paycheck every week. You so I sort you of- You didn't see sales as- No, uh, not even on my radar. No. generate a ton of money for no, the No, and person. back in my generation, if you will, and I can't believe I'm referring to things in generation because a lot of my mentality is still youthful, but you're talking three different decades now we've crossed since you know I came into the industry. Mm-hmm. And um, the strides and the changes in the industry are phenomenal. But when you uh, dial back, you know, 30 years ago plus to my job search, which was entirely different than today's, um, it was much more conventional. And we didn't have the resources to a large extent other than one interview might lead to another interview and so forth and so on. Um, You had Right. So thinking back, many of the interviews, they'd be like, well, you might be good in this department or that department. And I'm like, wait a minute. So I was with a lot of personnel companies. And the long and the short of it is one of them placed me at – it was an insurance financial-based company is essentially what it was. That sort of gave me the entree into it was really sales-driven. Um, I got started to get my licenses in that arena. But I found the product a little dry. But more importantly, I found that they really pushed product, and that wasn't my style. I wanted to be able to feel good about what I was selling and working with people and be able to bump into them in the grocery store and feel good about the exchange we've had. 
So that propelled me into, essentially at that time, I say this affectionately, I called up George Boyer, who really was Mr. Real Estate back then. And um, I knocked on his door, so to speak, and I interviewed with him. And the rest is history. I took a small job within his organization, went to licensing school, got out, and then just never looked back. He was in Connecticut, obviously. George, yeah. George, George is um, retired. George yep. actually was um, had one time 27 offices in this location. And then uh, he... Of Southeastern Connecticut? Or the you whole bet. State? Pretty, much, Pretty Southeastern much Southeastern Connecticut. Yeah, it was what amazing. What was the name of that company? Boyer. Boyer. And his son is still around today doing okay. more uh, management, property management out of the New London Waterford area from what, mm-hmm. I, from what I know. So it's amazing. And he was the catalyst for a lot of careers in this area, particularly people with this much experience in the business. If you talk to them, many of them were one of George's soldiers, if you will. Who did he end up selling to? At that time, it was um, it became bank merged with a company called Westledge, and then it went into DeWolf. DeWolf. And then eventually, yes. That's the one I always Dick hear DeWolf. about. And yeah. that's what they're referring to what, what yeah, he built. exactly. He built. And then um, some I of the always, spaces were know, filled. Yeah. When I talk to people that have as much experience as you in this marketplace, I, DeWolf, DeWolf comes up yep. so much. Yep, it was DeWolf. And um, you know how things go with these offices and merges. They can get a little interesting. But then eventually a lot of the space around here went from DeWolf. I think he basically sold out as well. And then... Um, Caldwell Banker stepped in to certain office spaces, right. even though they're more <clears throat> national. Yep. And um, and that's going to say the rest is history. But a lot of great agents were incubated with um, George Boyer's operation. And many managers still today that are prominent in offices were George, some of his protégés, really. So 34 years straight, right? No straight, like, no breakups. No breaks, no, mm-hmm. no, no vacations either, right, Mary? Or Minimal. Mi- that's the difference between my generation and yours. Yeah. I'm going to have to try to copy you. i got to learn uh, from you. I do a lot of travel, but if you look at my um, taxes in the year, that's a lot of business travel. Oh, know, I got right? it. i got to have know? to work you You work it how you guys yeah. work it. Come, come down to Naples with me. I'll show you, I'll show you See, exactly See, that's what I'm done. talking about. Yeah. yeah. So so there was no breaks. No. And, and you were with, in your eyes, somebody that was a leader in this industry. Yep. And, and, and I made Boyer. very few changes in the industry. I didn't leap from office to office yeah. and company to company. I wasn't really a proponent of that. Th- that I office. was with, uh, to, George had sold out at that point. He had a partner at that time for, and gosh, I feel like a, um, a biography with uh, respect to this, but uh, it was Irving Apert and he were partners. When they sold um, or were acquired by Westledge, um, there was, at least in Niantic, a Fairfield-based um, yeah. president that they had in place. And um, I stayed with them a while. And then I decided to make a change within the industry, not necessarily leaving one company, but one concept. And so I went into more individualized concept of real estate. And that's... Explain, what do you mean by that? Well, um, as many of these offices are run, as you're somewhat familiar with, um, they're run with a very, I would say, there was a very institutional structure that they had. A lot of agents, bullpens, duty time, so forth and so on. Four and as time. I matured in the business, <clears throat> yep. this was about year six, I decided that I needed a more enterprising way to work. And I was ready for that platform. At that time, um, he's still around, but Dan Sperduto had opened and had yeah. owned a Realty Pros, mm-hmm. which was a bit of a hybrid mm-hmm. and um, the concept. So I went to work with Dan. He promised he'd bring his operation to Niantic, an office, and he did. And it was within 100 feet of the other office, if yep. you will. And um, I worked with him for 13 years. Okay. And, um, and then the only reason that I spurned from that was when he decided to buy a franchise-type company, and he'll tell you this. 
and then he decided to go into ERA. Mm-hmm. And uh, no indifference to them, but and now I just didn't. Yeah, well, he's right. actually exited from and sold his office, which was um, of ERA. Is ERA and correct? And now I think he's the XP. Exactly yeah. as things go. So the process has matured somewhat. The system has too. So and then I became an owner broker. And, and, and then you became an owner. Today. You built a boutique. Yep. And and you eventually sold your boutique mm-hmm. this year. How many years in the boutique? I've been bro- managing brokering. That's sort of a hybrid job as well for me. Um, with, and in addition, selling. So I never broke stride with that because that's really where my livelihood came from. Yeah. Ownership, they don't call you a broker for a reason, right? Yeah. As they yeah, say, I, you're broke because you're a broker because you're broke. No. Uh, that's, it's a job. It's, it's part of it. I loved aspects of it. It's, it's a full-time job. I'm not sure in, in retrospect where I thought I was going to do everything, but I did. So I did that probably about 13 years is what I would say. And then just this year, June, we merged with Ravis, with exactly. whom you're with, exactly. essentially. Yeah. And her- so Heritage was 13 years. Oh, closer to, yeah, all of that. Yep. All of that. Yep, all of that for sure. Okay. Yeah. Still selling today. Absolutely. Still selling lots of properties, by the way. We just did a cool little thing uh, today. We brought up this Forbes uh, article. Okay. And we were, Nicole and I we were talking about about it. There was 13 different people that uh, sub- submitted uh, information, okay. basically 13 agents. And, and the whole thing was, what is the one thing you would tell to a newbie, to mm-hmm. a brand new agent on their way in? So you've got all this experience, 34 years. What's the one thing? Maybe you would have done it differently in year one. What's the one thing you would tell to a new agent? I don't think I could say to an agent coming in today what I would do different because I think the times and the industry are completely different. Okay. Um, so to be fair to that, um, and I think about some of the stuff, it's almost laughable because it's, you must feel like you're talking to your grandmother in a way because some of the, uh, the systems and lack thereof that were entirely different. Um, but that said, and I do. Tried, there's a lot of tried and true stuff. No so, question. Yeah. And this basic fund, fundamentals that you have to yes. stick with no matter. I don't care all the technology in the world. I always tell people that are in this business, you can do all the tech you want, but you have to have touch. Yes. But with that said, um, I still do real estate teaching. And one of the big misnomers is, is there's this great flexibility with the job. Maybe for you, is you can do this all remote. No, I agree with you. There's not any flexibility. <laughs> no, it's it's not. And you really <clears throat> need to be um, very committed and very um, self-structured to really, I think, propel in the industry. Um, you have to treat it like a job getting up every day. Whether you have a lot on the agenda or not, you have to create that agenda. So I think that if I had to give someone recommend, um, a piece of advice, I'd probably say, I would mentor someone for a little bit, maybe work with them just to get a real sense of the job because there's so much turnover in our business because people have a false sense of really what it's about. You know, HGTV gives a sense that it's all fun. There's lemons and limes on all the counters. No, a lot of times I'm sweeping up the cat stuff. So it's not, it's the way it's presented. So I think that it's a a real working job and um, there's some snappy sides of it, but for the most part, it's a lot of grunt work in our business. And I, it's one of the things I always say, like, you know, it's not a business to come into thinking like Saturdays I'm going to be hanging out with my family, for example. doesn't mean you're not going to have family time. How, what's been a hack for you? I mean, for me, my hack is like my morning routine, you know, my 5 a.m. call, I've, you know, that whole thing going on. What's been your hack? Because there's been multiple weeks where you work seven days straight, seven days straight, mm-hmm. over and over and over and over again. What's been your hack to like, 
take care of your body, stay healthy, be able to put in these hours and have a life. Like what's been the one thing that's maybe enabled you to work a crazy schedule every single week? Hmm. You know, unfortunately, I wish I could give you this great (laughs) spiel of, you know, what I do consistently to maintain my sanity. Um, I'm fortunate that the energy that the job takes just to move around kind of keeps me looking like I might go to a gym, but I don't. Um, <laughs> people say that to me all the time. I'm like, no, I don't go to any gym. I do the yeah. basement stairs really well. Um, but, you know, I'm, that is one area that I probably have a great weakness in. Um, fortunately, I have a high threshold for pain. I've got a great so family. So many top producers have the same answer too, right? Where they're like, oh, I'm... I just do it, right? I'm just super weak at yeah, being able and to Exactly. Out like how many I do it. people are athletes at different things and really good at certain sports and, and have great hobbies. My um, you know, expertise is within the industry and therefore I've become like a, the, I'm an athlete in real estate. So you get on your own personal treadmill of what you need to do and how you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to say that's a healthy way to sustain. And if, if I had someone going into the business like my daughter, who has no intention of doing it, um, I would hope that she could realign it. And I think actually your generation of agents is doing that. Um, I speak to the millennial crowd almost. You have a different different way of doing and I, things. And, and I think, well, I think you, when you mentioned if you're a new agent, you need a mentor, which could be a team, mm-hmm. could be a lot of, could yep. be a coach, it could, could be a be. lot of different yep. variations mm-hmm. of having a mentor. And I agree with you, that's going to help you have some type of. To get some balance in your life. Balance right. in your life, some work life yep. balance. You have a team. How long have you had a team for? Well, I've actually had, I've been fortunate in that I'm in, I've done real estate almost in three different ways, and it's almost been a decade change I have found. I ran solo for a solid 10 years. Mm -hmm. I had a full-time partner in real estate. We were equals for 10 years. Okay. With no assistance or nothing like that? I had an assistant. That's it. But the teams- And that that was your middle 10 years? Yes, my middle 10 years. I would technically call that an early- adoption of a team before teams are really a thing probably you got no? it there was when i started to think about a team there was only one person i knew in the industry that even had cultivated anything close to it and i gave her a call it was linda davis okay. and linda's still around i'll give her a shout out um she's a great gal and um with respect to that she had started something smaller along those lines or had an assistant it was like such you know such um edgy stuff and I had a nice chat with her, and we talked a little bit, and we basically shared some information. There was nobody when was that this? I could pattern. Where, where Linda was the only one doing it. Like, mm, like, gosh, it, I'm going to say probably date. in the mid-90s. Okay. At best. So um, mid-90s, locally here, there's really oh, yeah. only one person only, do it. Linda Davis, it. she's doing it. And I gave her a call. I remember having a call and chatting with her, and I said, how do you work this? And um she and I both talked a little bit, and she didn't have a, a pattern for it, but she had some advice to give, which was great. And um, we were sort of, it was trendsetting. And um, I really um, looked up to her as well, because I would say Linda's probably got another, well, close to 10 years in the industry over me. Um, so she's very much a revered veteran and uh, well-deserved. But uh, so I chatted with her a little bit, and we got on to... Um, there's no wrong or right, but we're just sort of treading water with respect to that. And, um, you know, you try to be fair with people and you try to say, hey, what works and what doesn't. Um, I would say to you, having 
Now, I, to this day, I have an assistant and one person with me, but I really don't have the kind of team like you have. These teams are becoming large, um, completely different scope than just one or two people working with you. And um, to your credit, that's an entirely different way to do the business and elevates it to a new level of how you're going to handle it. Um, but I think for people considering a team, you need to be mindful that you're not propelling your individual career. You might be putting yourself in a position of learning and or being mentored. But if you want to individualize yourself within the industry, that's not something that you want to be doing forever or you have to decide how long it is you want to do it. Um, if you're inclined to want to build your career as an independent, it may or may not be for you. That's why a lot of these teams don't work. Or meaning, well, here's where I really look at the difference too. Mm -hmm. If you're a true entrepreneur, yep. you want to build a team, mm -hmm. right? If you came into real estate watching HGTV and thinking, I'm going to be a real estate agent, mm -hmm. then you want to be on a team. Meaning, to me, there are no... I want to be a real estate agent. I just watch HGTV type of thing, running around building uh -huh. and doing the insanity of building a company, whether it's within a company or out as a boutique or yep. however. Because when you're building a team properly, and quote unquote properly, right? When you're doing it at scale, mm -hmm. you're running a business. Mm -hmm. You're an entrepreneur, right? right? Mm -hmm. And if you want work-life balance, you want the Saturdays, mm -hmm. you want to do more of the HGTV type of stuff, you're going to fit in more as an agent fulfilling mm -hmm. a role on a, on a certain Right. So they have to decide, you know, where they see themselves uh, within the industry and where they want to go with it. Because people mm -hmm. that are very effective and are happy on a team, and let's face it, we all work more productively when we're comfortable in our environment. So for someone to be comfortable on a team, they have to say, hey, my success with people that want to be on a team are particularly those that don't necessarily want a spotlight. Um, they're not necessarily tracking numbers. That doesn't mean a lot to them. But they're at a place in their life where they're selling real estate and they're good at it, but they don't want to, to define their life. Right. And or they may do it in conjunction with another job. I, I had an airline pilot on my team one time. Now, they're regulated by hours as right. well. Sure. But at the same token, when you're in the air, you're in the air. You can't be talking to somebody. can't be two places. No. But you also have an awful lot of downtime. But to that particular career reference, it's a team can be very helpful because when you're not around, you're not around. Mm -hmm. And um, it's also uh, enables you to take those large stints of time that you need when you need them. And that's full coverage. So you have to kind of decide what suits you best. I think the ideal partnership where you have someone on a kind of, a, let's call it an even keel with you, the beauty of that is that when you walk out on a Friday night, if you happen to be in a great partnership such as I had, where Friday night, if we alternated a weekend and I was fully off, you were that off. person was that person was on. Yeah. And it was like the left foot knew what the right foot was going to do and vice versa, or left hand, right hand type of thing. It was perfect. Well, I mean, I mean, in teams, there are so many variations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I throw the word around team and people are only thinking the big teams. I look at a solo agent who has an assistant as a team environment. Mm -hmm. They're running a true business to me. Yeah. Anytime you have just an individual agent that's relying on their brokerage, I think over the next five, 10 years, and I've been saying this for five years and that's played out over the last five, mm -hmm. they're extremely vulnerable. Meaning, just look at, just pull up the top 50 agents, uh, agents mm -hmm. in any marketplace on any MLS mm -hmm. and you can run down that and the far majority of them are gonna have at least an assistant working yep. with them. 
right? Well, the industry standard roughly has always been, you know, 20 or 25 transactions a year or more, you probably should have somebody working with or for you. So that's sort of been a little bit of a a loose rule of thumb. And then um, as it escalates from there, but you can pull up the top 25 agents at any given time, and there's such a huge disparity between the top five and then the top 25, even at that level. Mm -hmm. So um, that's something that, you know, this industry is extremely skewered with that respect. So systems certainly are helping some of the agents that want to develop teams uh, accomplish higher numbers and and ultimately maybe hit higher goals. Um, The beauty of the industry, though, always remains with people. They can find their happy place at whatever point they want. Um, but it's an expensive industry to be a part of, too. And I tell people that. Don't jump sure. ships. Don't leave your jobs. You know, especially if you're teaching a real estate class and, you know, they they hope to be engaged in the business. You want to make sure that that they understand that there's no 401K unless, you know, you create it. There's no, um, you know, matching fund. Uh, there's no dental health insurance. I mean, unless you buy it. Um, you're really a lone man on a ship there. And um, you may have an umbrella over you. For certain aspects, but you you're going to pay for every bit of it as you go. And, and you, I mean, like Mary, you're a true entrepreneur. You've built your own brokerage. You've sold a broker. Like you've you've checked a lot of boxes in your journey, right? Yeah. Do you think a lot of these agents that are coming in brand brand new really need more education around that? Around the fact that a lot of them are coming in, Mary, and they're not even realizing that when a manager is recruiting them, it's mm-hmm. because they have a heartbeat and they get a bonus, not because they have some special skill set, i.e. 60 hours of class. An example, mm-hmm. right? We had There was an age, a new agent that I just met a week ago, and she's like, oh my gosh, so nice to meet you. Like, I'm so like impressed with what you're doing. I'm following, like, I'd love to join your team someday. And, and she's actually part of, got recruited, but, in our brokerage, right? And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, you can't join my team because our broker has a rule against that, right? Mm-hmm. Like single agents can't join teams within the company. And there's other brokerages throughout the country that have that similar rule. And she's just like dumbfounded mm-hmm. because there's a lot of agents that are coming in confused mm-hmm. by what being recruited by a manager means. Those managers are incentivized usually at a thousand ahead, whatever it is, whatever the bonus is in that brokerage structure to recruit agents where they're where the agent is under the impression because they're newly licensed and they don't know mm-hmm. anything that they're actually being recruited right mm-hmm. like that they actually have a special skill set to provide to that brokerage right there's a certain naivete with it yeah yeah there's a huge naivete with it there are a number which is incentivized by bonus structure to bring in more bodies the for example Connecticut doesn't do really anything outside of let's get you ready for the test on the Mm -hmm. 60 hour class. Yep. Right. At least when I went through it and the experience that I have, they're going to get you ready for the test, but are they going to get you ready for the world that's about to confront you and smack you in the face? You're supposed to be an entrepreneur, right? You're not being really recruited. You should be interviewing the managers. You should be interviewing team Mm -hmm. leaders that can put you in a best position to succeed if you have the commitment and the accountability. Right. Should we be, talking more to new agents about that well i think there's a sense of responsibility that you should take on when you're speaking to agents anyway in any level to be honest with you and fortunately i've been on the board for years i've done 
you know, many committees. I've been exposed to different skill sets of agents besides owning, managing, and being a broker, which does give you a big scope of huge. huge. And now that I think about it, when you present it that way, it's like, ooh, you know, there's days you just, you do things. And then I realize now, my gosh, how fortunate I was because sometimes the task is, could be, sounds daunting. But I think when you're very genuine with folks. I'm very candid. When we used to sit down, Annie and I and Bill, when we would get calls and people would say they'd like to join, specifically it was Heritage Properties for so many years, I would talk more people out of certain aspects than yeah, in. of course. Because, you know, we weren't designed for everybody's needs. And you have to be earnest because what's the, what's the purpose of a turnstile real estate office? Mm-hmm. And part of our industry – People are job hopping and job shopping all the time. They're going from a blue and white sign to a red, white, and blue sign to a, they don't even know why they're changing. Yeah. And, and that's why I made point earlier, when I made career changes, they were few and far between, but they were with a purpose, at least at that time. So changing concepts, because the traditional form of real estate, like what is that word anyway? What's traditional? Um, real estate offices have changed so much, and to many brokers' dismay, it's not the profit center that it was either. Right. Because it's gotten so competitive. Yeah, margins of so really small. Yeah. And one of the reasons we did what we did and I think did it well was because we weren't relying on the ownership of the company to, to butter the bread. It was our own hard work and selling. Well, not only did you do very well, but let's just be honest, you were number one in your county for how many years straight? I mean, it was at as least long as five, we were. A long yes, time, I, right? it was a long time, at least 10 years. Yeah. Absolutely. So you built an extremely positive culture. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. and it wasn't through like having just obscene a number of agents either. Let's put some context. No, down for in people. fact, it was quite the contrast. Um, we really had a higher level of productivity per agent, per and agent. that was the culture of the, if you will, the office. And that's why, to earlier's point of we just didn't recruit and say, "Hey, come on in," so I could get one or two transactions. That wasn't the point of it. Yeah. I think it was an earnest byproduct, actually, of really trying to do as best you could by everybody involved. To be Did, honest, was there any bonus structure in your none in your right? No. So I think that's a big difference too, Mary. No question, and it was a familial concept too because we were small family, if you will. We really took pride in that, and uh, and hence one of the reasons that we merged with Ravis. It's a family company. Family it's a different level of family. You know, they got all it's kinds of cousins and uncles and aunts. That's <laughs> a big family. But um, with that respect, you know, that's the key. If you can keep the family feel in what you do, even down to an agent level. You know, a homeowner almost smiles when you call them. You can text and email all you want, but when they call, when you call, especially generations, there's difference. You know, they just love that. You can hear a smile over the you phone. You definitely can hear a smile. But you can misinterpret smiles over text. Correct. Right? Big deal. Yep. Which is why, to my dinosaur point earlier, <laughs> you know, don't lose that touch because no matter how techy the world gets, and man, you're the, you're on the rise with that, it's, it's still the basis of our business. We will never be replaced. And Mary, you'd be so, sh- like if you came here between nine and noon one mm-hmm. day and you saw young agents under the age of 30, what are they doing at nine o'clock? Sam knows. They're role playing and reading scripts every day at nine o'clock. That's so interesting. It's it's interesting, but it's just what's worked for decades upon decades upon decades. If you know what to say mm-hmm. when you meet a prospective buyer or seller, you're going to have far better chances than if you're just making it up on the fly. 
right? And that could be face-to-face, -face, that could be over the phone. Yep. I mean, that could even be driving a conversation all the way down to text, but if you don't start with the role play yeah. of how to you're gonna a certain get extent, face, yeah. you're, you're just not gonna be a professional salesperson. I'd also, I mean, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on this. We role talked about playing? the entrepreneur thing. No, oh, we can oh. get into role play a little bit. I'd love your thoughts on, on role playing. Do you, do you, did you use scripts or role playing at all? No. Nothing. Never. I, I, I am was, extemporaneous was from my toes to my head. Picturing no. that no um, coming. No, no, not. In fact, I'm smiling through your yeah. recitation on yeah. that because I'm thinking, wow. Now, to your point, I mean, people should know what they're saying. But let me tell you, yeah. this is part of it, though. They need to get out, meet and greet. Do the butt kicking open well, houses. You'll make mistakes. You'll say the wrong thing. Absolutely. 100%. And then you'll say it right. And but here's the thing. You have to be natural. You have to say it how you feel it. As the moment indicates you should say it. And not necessarily like go into oh, script B. Well let me let me let's go, hope you can apply it. hundred percent. You have to be able to apply it. Let's right? hope you can apply it. hundred yeah. percent. Let me ask you this. Do you think too many people in this industry, and we know the failure rates, they're, they, everybody- You might know that. What is the failure rate 88% now? before yeah, your fourth year. Yeah, see, it's getting worse every year. Right? This is not good. So the failure is extremely high. Do you believe too many people come in, and we talked about the entrepreneur thing, Yeah. not realizing they are a salesperson? Do you consider yourself, Mary, a salesperson? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I think and I do believe that's something that's missing with probably more of the whether they're young or not, the inexperienced agent coming in. I'm coming into real estate without the realization that I'm a salesperson the minute I do that. I need to sell. I need to have the way I speak to a client mm -hmm. or to a prospective lead needs to whatever. If it's a lead, I need to generate an appointment which means I'm going to do check closes. There are going to be, there's going to be sales languages. Sales, whether you've used a script or not, Mary, mm -hmm. there's a lot of sales language in the way you close on a lead for an appointment or on a client for a listing or whatever. There's going to be a lot of check closes that you're naturally doing. Mm -hmm. And they may not have come from a script, but they came from years of experience. Right. There's too many. I mean, we had a new agent that was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize we were going to be cold calling. Are you serious? How else are you going to learn to have these conversations? Right. Mm -hmm. There's only two weekends in a week. So Monday through Friday, you better be on the phone or conversing somehow with prospective leads. I get it. On the weekends, you can do it on open houses. But Monday through Friday, you've got to be doing this every single day. Mm -hmm. And those are sales conversations with asks, right? You're asking mm -hmm. for something from somebody, an appointment or whatever. Do too many people shy away from the salesmanship that it takes to be a great agent? It's an interesting question because part of me says part of the sales. problem yeah. is that even though I'm proud to say that is I'm a salesperson, I'm going to asterisk that by also saying that the, the clients, you're responding to a client's need. And that has to supersede the sale. Mm -hmm. So even though I have to label my career in some regard, I'd rather say broker sales, but however you want to define it, fundamentally, yeah. we're salespeople. But the essence of excelling at this is not accentuating the sales portion of what you do. That will come mm -hmm. when you learn to care, 
when you learn to listen to what the customer That's needs, a big one. and then you apply all of that, mm-hmm. then you're doing a full run, genuine response to what they're seeking out your services for. So the failure rate is so daunting, and it's going to be interesting to see if the application of some of what you're you're professing to be a need for particularly this generation coming in is going to produce a better line of agent and and hold them longer. I don't know. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, clearly, you know, there's a wave in every industry. You're going to get people like myself that, you know, I mean, statistically, how long are they in the business? 40 years, 45 years, and eventually they move out. How are the new ones coming in? How are they training? I mean, real estate still invites many walks of life. We see a lot of people coming in the business that have retired out of another business. There's still a good portion, probably 25, yep. 30% of them have left one job or decided to retire out of it. They're still young. They want to go into real estate. Um Sales is not for everybody. That's part of the problem. The state of Connecticut and many others, they make licensure relatively easy, and it's a high licensure fee we pay, so it raises their coffers every year. So the requirements are 12 credits every two years. That's the easiest part about the industry is getting the license. But then you have to prove yourself. Yes, you're a salesperson, but you're meeting a need And yes, it may be selling the product, but unless you can combine those variables, you're not going to succeed at it. Because if you come across as just a salesperson, that's the last thing somebody wants to deal with. 100%. We're down there, you know. Great salespeople don't ever come off that way. Correct. And once people, when they're disarmed with that and they realize, hey, this person is trying to do well by me, that's how you succeed. The greatest salespeople I've come in contact with that were, you know, not real estate related. People selling me a product mm-hmm. did in a way where they weren't salesy, That's right? right. Yep. But they engaged, they asked a lot yep. of questions. To your point, they mm-hmm. listened. Yep. I mean, that's the big one I, that just everybody, what, no matter what their sales position is, misses. Right. And in the end, I mean, they know you're a salesperson, but that's not really where, you know, you need to shine, really. Um, because I think that comes full circle and then eventually... As they say, if you're going to worry about that, you know, it's going to come through. It's, you know, you become very transparent. And that's why even people, agents, the diversity that we have of personality, you have to be yourself. Um, I think there are basic tenements to the business. I think you have to have an application of professionalism. Um, I do think it's easier for, I guess, an experienced agent, or I guess you don't have to be too experienced, but, but an agent with a big pipeline. Mm-hmm. So an agent with a lot of, pendings, a lot of listings, I think it's almost easier for that agent to do what you're saying. Be, uh, you know, someone that helps that client. Right, the pressure's 100%. off. 100%. The pressure's off that yep. person, right? Because mm-hmm. if you've got 20 deals in the pipeline and, you know, 19 of them are going good mm-hmm. and one of them is not, right. it's easier for you to give the best advice in that situation, right. whether it's good for your pocketbook or not, mm-hmm. because you've got these 19 other deals that are happening. I think the problem and, and the failure rate and yep. all this stuff, but the, the fact that the average agent does about two to four deals a year, you know, if they're on deal three or four and it's getting close to Christmas, mm-hmm. that's where ethics can, can become an issue, mm-hmm. right? And and some of the sleazy sales stuff, the, people, the reason people don't want to be called sales people, mm-hmm can creep up. Right. 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 No, and I think that's true of any any business to an extent, but absolutely. And 
That's why it's so important when we're teaching the courses to explain people, don't give up the day job. Don't jump into this without the realization. Have a nest egg. Be prepared for these pitfalls. And, and, and what's super interesting, and, and um, I know you have the trends report, the Swanepoel mm -hmm. trends report. We were talking about it before the podcast. The 2019 one, uh, Stefan says in there, real estate is really the last entrepreneurial outpost in our nation that is truly 100% commission-based, mm -hmm. right? I mean, think about all your friends in different industries, probably none of them. I mean, if you're running your own business, you're basically 100% right. commission, but there's not too many people that have jobs or careers no. that are 100% commission-based. And not many want them. Not many want them. And um, yeah. actually, there's been statistics of recent whereby it used to be that private business owners could do better than people in a job with the pension and all that. No, that's changing. Mm -hmm. Because to own a business, to operate a business, the overhead, the, the lack of tax relief, everything that we have to do, double Social Security, practically all of that, has become and made these types of jobs less desirable, to be honest with you. So it's in some respects, even though we've brought people on, although our board level now, we have about 975 agents in our board, and we've been holding within 50 units. I think the highest I saw was maybe 1,200 in the height of the marketplace um, that we had on, on a board level here at Southeastern Connecticut at ECAR. But um, with that said, it's a harder job to really sustain. And I think that you're either going to see career people enter it with a very calculated, yep, and I think you're already seeing a lot of that. Yeah, I agree. You're seeing some of that and or, you know, there'll be always be the uh, percentage of people that are doing it for a secondary job. So it's not sweating on their brow. You know, do, do you believe and, and there's certainly, you know, Redfin is a believer in mm -hmm. this. Um, certainly there's there's some thoughts that Zillow could go this direction. Mm -hmm. Do you believe there will be more people in, say, five or ten years that are maybe on a draw as a real estate agent and are, quote, unquote, more leaning more towards employee status with a draw and then upside on, on some transactions? Or do you think in five or ten years we're still uh, mostly, you know, speaking, generally speaking, 100% commission-based as agents? You know, I think you might even now see some type of a hybrid office again come into play, to your point, maybe uh, some transactional type company that comes up with a new, you know, you, we spoke earlier about the evolution of the office that I was in. And um, now you have a concept out there where there is no office, correct? Mm. There's no brick and yeah. mortar. Well, yes, and they're, sure. they're Exactly, they're, yeah. working from, they're working from the cloud, yep. okay? So there's an appeal to a certain group of agents that way. In Europe, if I'm not mistaken, many countries use uh, transactional folks and yeah. or, Europe, and they, you, you basically don't have buyer agents anymore in right, all of Europe. Exactly. And so there's, um, so I do think we're going to see some type of change. I don't think it's going to eliminate the agent. Um, I agree. I think that we're integral, um, despite how good photography's gotten. I think there's also a downside to a lot of this. Yeah. Um, people know things are Photoshopped, there's pictures, yeah. it's, you name it. I think people really need to see the product. Um, there's a rare instance where someone might try to buy online, but I, I don't see what? that happening. 
there so, are still a lot of people that won't buy shoes online yeah. for $150 to spend 150000 or That's like me, Byron. I don't buy shoes online. Right. No. You know what I do, though? I'll just buy three pairs and, then and you return send the them. other two back. See, yeah. But see, that's a hassle for my generation because I house, can't though. get that whole thing. I get It's all mixed up, all the UP. Yeah, you know. But <laughs> So we're all house, get on the either. phone and actually talk my way through the problem and see, I'm done. <laughs> but um, So that's where all my energy comes in. But... Um, that it's it's interesting. I definitely think there's going to be some change. Um, I and I do see there may be a broker or somebody under a brokerage that says, "Hey, you work for me weekly. Doesn't matter what. This is what you're going to get for a salary." And I think there's a core of people out there that are always going to be appealing. That's going to be appealing. Commercial to real estate, obviously, you know, they pull that off. Uh, you, like Marcus and Millichap, mm-hmm. large multifamily right. uh, commercial company like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of their agents are, are kind of on a draw. Not to say that that's the right answer for every residential marketplace, but as you see some of these disruptors come in, mm-hmm. whether it's Zillow, what do you think the biggest, before me pontificating, what do you think is the biggest disruptor to the agent today? You know, I've always said with progress is regress. And when you think about it, I didn't have email and all that stuff when I started. We barely had a fax machine. That's the truth. Um, and when we did, it was the type that came in and it all bleached out in about 48 hours. So there goes records for 70 years. But um, it's it's interesting because you think about all the emails that go out, all the auto drip stuff, all this stuff that's supposed to be, you know, cutting edge. But don't you think people are going to get sick of that and already are and they're hitting delete before well, email they even read? You got of, it. Yeah, so yeah. now what's going to take a substitution for that? I'm getting sick right? of text message, by the way. There right you go. Now, so yeah. you, here you have it. So now what's become what what was, what is, what's big, and then all of a sudden it gets to a point where it's overused mm-hmm. and then people sort of say, you text, know what, I'm sick yeah. of it. I'm sick of it. I don't even want to deal with it. Yep. So then you say, no, what are we going to go back to? Is there going to be this new thing that comes out that we resort to, all of us in the industry? Um, not just our industry, but other industries. So it's going to be really, really interesting. Might we go back to having to pick up the phone? Because a lot of people say, you know what, unless I hear from them, it's just a zero to me. Look at the robocalls we get. You're picking up the phone. You don't even know who's on the other end. But so what, yeah. I wish well, I could I think, pick one thing. I To your point, I think you're right on with, now I don't know it's necessarily picking up the phone. Yeah. But I think to your point of we always go back. Mm-hmm voice to me is where we're going back to because it's faster than mm-hmm. texting, right? right? So like I already voice to text all the time because it's just faster than using my thumbs. But literally being able to, instead of picking up the phone and calling and maybe saying, Alexa, can you get Mary on the phone? And Alexa makes the phone call for you and connects you when you are ready. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, we reached out to Mary, but her calendar says she's in a meeting. You didn't even get interrupted with right. the notification. Yep. Mm-hmm. She'll be uh, the her calendar says she'll be out of the meeting mm-hmm. at twelve thirty, and we're going to connect you then. Are you available then? Yeah, Alex, I'll be available then. And I think it's going to be a lot of voice activation mm-hmm. because it, it's we value as human beings speed, mm-hmm. which is why people went from phone call to text because it was faster than me playing phone tag with you all day. I leave a mm-hmm. message, you leave a message for me back, and we're doing this circle, mm-hmm. and that's why we went to text. But now I I agree with you. I think it's going back to voice because it's just going to be faster as technology catches up that's not 2019 yeah. stuff but that's um you know it, it the world's our oyster with that but i i do see there is some concern as i said that i mean you look at the paper you know 
Very little advertising is done in the paper anymore. Um, there's still some. They're still but, charging. Yeah, like there's a lot of it done. Uh, that's a whole other story. Yeah. So you have that, but then you have, you know, as I said, the email campaigns. You have, you don't, you don't see the quantity of mail. Um, well, because yeah. I don't think anything is dead, right? Like I don't think advertising in the newspaper is dead. No, I think it's overpriced. Yeah, I don't think that email marketing is where we should be spending a large percentage of our time because open rates are 15 to 20 percent if you're pretty good at it mm -hmm. right you, I mean if, if you're just average you could be down at below 15 percent so should you not be doing it no you don't want to ignore 15 I guess it if it works for you but it's also I mean CRS just did a whole breakdown on that you have uh, it's it's uh, the generations of people that are gonna read a paper um, there's um, certain generations that you have you, to appeal to them on a different level. Do you still market in the paper? I do some. I've dropped off considerably okay. because I thought the return on it was was pretty negligible. Because they're not bringing the prices down. <clears throat> that and um, supply and demand. The and... the readership. I think that most people that are looking for real estate, most not everyone, they're for the most part aligned with somebody. They're just not randomly plucking through the paper, deciding they're going to buy. Yeah, I agree with that. So I think if they're receiving updates. They're in click with someone. Um, they're going to get that information, so they know for the most part what they're seeing in the paper is not a singular representation of what's available. It's they know the it's market. only a small portion, and if they randomly pick something and you get lucky and it happens to be that one, well, great. But for the most part, that route advertising every week or every you know is it, it's totally um, it's very uh, inconsistent in its return. So I think. Um, there are certain generations that will flick the paper because they like to physically read the paper. But I don't think if they're really buying or selling that they're going to rely on that as a sole source of information. I just don't see that. Yep, I, I agree so. with you. What, over your experience, what's been the number one place to market? Like, And it changes all the time. But I don't know. If you were new right now, there's a lot of different ways to market yourself, right? There is. And, you know, I guess fundamentally for me and the people even coming in, I'm like, listen, um, I didn't have much of a sphere of influence when I started. It was very, very small. You know, the old yeah, bullseye, they say. It was very state. small. I was a different state. I didn't have any family up here. I still don't. Um, people thought I was born here after a while, and I'm not. I don't know. Not at all. Um, it was amazing, if I think about it. And uh, we didn't even have GPS, so it was like, where the heck am I going? Mount, Montville Manor was a maze. I was like, I'm oh, New man. York, Montville, <laughs> Florida. I would do dry runs just to figure out where I was going so I didn't like it look like a dope. But my biggest source of business is still to this day referral business. Yes, because I knew that I was Because fortunately, yeah. um, and hopefully this goes back to earlier, if you treat people right, and many of my clients became real estate agents. So you lose some base there or their kid became an agent. I mean, that's how long I'm in it now. So it's like your kid became an agent. Okay. Um, and that's great stuff. Um, but it's it's referral. It's it's the name being passed on. And you get to a point where you're comfortable with that. It's not like I have to keep planting all these seeds. But what you want to do, though, is make sure that they know you're still, you're still in there. You're still a game player. And that's important. Is there a certain amount of time a year that you think someone, so you do a deal with somebody, it's a buy side transaction. Mm -hmm. Is there a certain amount of touches, personal touches a year that you think will cultivate that raving fan base that you've built for instance? You know, do um, you have a number to it? I'd say honestly, and, and I think um, earnestly with respect to how much really you think you could stop and do that, whether it's in whatever mode you choose, probably two or three times a year. Yeah. is probably sufficient. Um, 
and I think that, and if you mix it up a little bit, you know, you might send out a card or you might send out um, some type of marketing thing that they can retain. I've always been big about that. Um, whether some it's a pot holder okay. or a, you know, a jar gripper. I loved my jar grippers. Something like I had a grip on around. the market and those hung around and you still need a jar gripper today. Everybody needs a jar You're gripper. Right. And when you think about it, people would laugh. They're like, I still have your jar gripper. And I'm like, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, to me, something. So you mix it up just a little bit. You don't have to have something because it's getting harder to mail stuff like that too. So you got to find something flat, yeah. conducive to mail. So, um, but I think you can combine a nice blend if you're an agent, you know, and, and figure out something like that. So, um, I mean, cards, calendars, all that stuff definitely have some shelf life. I, I agree, though. Once you get into the business, I think when you get in, exactly what you said, having a mentor, being on a team, that type of thing, mm -hmm. so that you can generate now business, so you can figure out how to set appointments. But then as you build that SOI you, and you build out, you mm -hmm. know, all your raving fans and your, your database, it's really about relationships. How no do I question. cultivate more relationships over and over and over? Yep, and sustain them. And people want to deal with a player. Most people, you know, someone that's consistent. Um, and that's that's a good thing. But there's all these interrupters these days. I mean, you have people, as I said, the cousin got in the business or this or that. And, you know, you're always going to have to rekindle some new business and you can hope for that. So, you, you know, you treat each potential new client, you know, as if they'll be a future client. And then hopefully they are. Um, and then a lot of these interceptors get into play today, too. As I said, the database changes somewhat because you have people that um, move away, don't care, you know, age out. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. So it can, it can constrict, too, without, without sustaining it in other ways. So you have to keep up with your transactions, too, every year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. To, you know, just to the, add to the it. work. Right, 100%. exactly. Yeah. And you do about 100 transactions a year. You following me. I know, I know what you're doing, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> You it's funny, you know more about me than I know about me. <laughs> you do about 100, right? 100 a year? Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. that's an average of exactly. that. Yeah, yeah. And how long, roughly, do you f do you feel like you've been doing about that number year over year over year? Where wow, you're just like, you I'm know, going to do 100 every year no matter No, what. you know what? And I don't, that's another thing. And might, you'll probably shrink at the thought of that because I don't have this goal board. Um, and uh, this, you know, you at this point, because, like I said earlier, I'm this professional on this sort of you know, a subliminal uh, treadmill that you create, you're just doing it. And as a byproduct of it, that seems to be a consistent number that just keeps working. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't go out and say, oh, I did this in January. I have to do this in February. You know, you just stay at it. And when you stay at it, it's there. But it's been a long time. You've been, been a long, oh my gosh, I would say for over 20 years. Over 20 years. Oh, I would say, yeah. So that's super interesting, right? Because over 20 years ago was the late 90s, right? And in yeah, between, it's probably that. In yeah. between the late 90s and today, mm -hmm. we had 2007, mm -hmm. we had 2008, we had 2009, right? Yeah. Did you continue to produce? I mean, we know a lot of agents even in this marketplace that were really strong agents that mm -hmm. went out and sold insurance or went out and got a day job or yeah. did different things during that time frame. You never left the industry. Nope. Did you cons uh, consistently sell? Now I know the price, the sales prices went down there. Yeah, in they sure country. did. Yeah. Did you keep your numbers, your transaction, your unit numbers? You know, always, and maybe I don't know. I I, I didn't micromanage. And says the same thing. Yeah, and it's funny because you could ask us. People would think you're kidding. You don't know. 
no, because we didn't sit around worrying about that. You did it. But it could have been, you know, maybe it was 85 one year, but then another year could have been 110. So it leveled itself out, but always, yep, right up we, there. We could be coming into, you know, we could be a year, we could be a month, we could be three years away, but we are coming into a time frame where there is going to be a recession, right? I know people don't want to hear that, but that's what's coming in, in this country because we've been on such mm-hmm. a good swing for so long now. Certainly in Connecticut, they don't want to hear that because they're like, wait a minute, did we miss this? Where's the swing? Did it happen? <laughs> right? But we really have. We've been riding high for however many years. And with this coming, what's your piece of advice to an agent to make it through those years? You made it through the biggest crash, mm-hmm. right? Of a, a, a recent memory yep. in real estate. And you did it without missing a beat. What's your piece of advice to agents entering potentially that time frame? Well, you know, it's the same advice you try to give clients when you go to the kitchen table and you find out and for a period of time this was con- this was a problem. You know, there was negative equity. So you would reflect on what did you do to get to this position? And you can't, you have to establish a budget that's plausible and consistent. And you can't also create a lifestyle that you can't sustain either. Yep. So if you think you just had a good year and you're buying this snappy car or you go out and you try to lease one and you get it and then, you know, the next six months it's like, ooh, why did I do that? No, that's not smart. You have to actually set an example so when you go to a kitchen table and there's many a time where I've sat there and said, wow, you did this three times for education. You know, guys, you really weren't in a position to do that with this house. And they look at you and sometimes you feel older than your years, you know, when you're doing that. And then there's other days you feel younger than your years, but and very fortunate when you walk out. But I think it's it's really keeping low to no debt in this business is very critical to being able to walk the walk and you can keep talking the talk without sounding desperate, without sounding like you're a salesperson, without sounding needy, without being pushy. You have to be the same person, the giving, caring. Ultimately, you have to say to your customer, what's best for you? It can't be what's in it for you. It has to be all of what's in it for them. If they don't get that feeling, there's nothing, you know, you're not really being effective. Uh, Yeah. Honestly. So you've got to, if you're an agent, and I tell agents all the time, you know, first of all, don't get in if you're already in debt. That's ridiculous. Establish a Don't get budget. into the industry if you're yeah. in debt. Yeah, have yourself six months worth of slush fund. Uh, understand that you may have another six going forward where you don't have any income. I mean, the biggest reward I got in the business was when I was in six months um, and I was named Rookie of the Year. Uh, they used to have all these little, you know, award things, and I didn't think much of it, but it was nice enough. But I went into the office manager, and I said, I'm sorry, if I'm Rookie of the Year, what is everybody else not doing? How can I be Rookie of the Year? I don't think I made $6. I'm thinking to myself, you know, retrospect. Are you kidding? But um, the basis that that was a great reward because it was sort of like a reminder that, hey, you know, someone so made this like your mother thinks you're great, but really, let's put it in perspective. So you keep humble with that. It, it and plays trophies. Yeah. yeah, it's like, come on already. And um, with, you know, I'm was fortunate that way with uh, some of the, but you also take a pause and you step back and you say, when I was working while getting licensed, I worked for George and I used to take all the files in for escrow. And it was a great learning tool because I was able to look at the files of his top 10 agents at the time. He had his top 10. And uh, 
I was looking at the notes, the lack of notes. And back then, you had to write everything down because that's how it went, right? You think about the records we need to keep for seven years in our business to protect your client. I'd look at the mm -hmm. stuff and get horrified. And I'd be like, you're kidding me. And these are the top 10. Um, so I would learn, you learn from what people don't do well as much as what people do well to help propel yourself. So I think that um, the industry, you have to be, you know, keep a steady eddy about what you do and who you are and um, be very conscious of the fact that, you know, you can have a good run one year and the next year, oh, and those taxes are there, those quarterlies are there. Oh, yeah. And I agree They're with at you. your doorstep. The cash is going to be king for those that want to make it through yeah. the next downturn. What did in the last one? What did you do specifically? To, I mean, you had to have been in a place to keep your numbers consistent. Mm -hmm. You had to have generated more leads than when times are good, just because there's a lot of leads to your point that couldn't sell, mm -hmm. uh, didn't realize that they were actually underwater with where the market was. So, how did you generate more leads to keep your numbers consistent with years past? You know, I think some of the trouble within the economy might have been self-generating unto itself. In other words, those leads might have been greater at a pace because people were in trouble. Um, so so was, come talk was, to me, Mary. Some of it might have been in, uh, just a benefit to the, the bad situation we were in. And even I found myself earlier today. You I was thought in, you actually had more opportunities during yes, that time? Yes, in some respects. Unfortunately, um, because of the poor situation some other people might have been in. You were walking away from a lot of situations where I'm not getting a listing, I'm not getting a buyer, but I'm talking to more people right. than I do in times are I'm good. I'm giving them, like, it's almost like uh, credit advice, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, you're saying, hey, if you do this and do this, let's watch it. Maybe next year things will be a little bit better. Let's try to track this, and then maybe we can be more proactive in six months. S things like that. So you were going, I felt like I was a counselor a lot, and I still do a lot of real I don't know, real, real touch stuff with people. I mean, you walk into a home, I have a house on the market now, and, you know, they're an older couple, and I'm, I'm sad that it's on the market. And they tell me they're going their different ways. And for six months, I tried to talk them into staying together, you know, before I put the house on the market. <laughs> I mean, I, come on, yeah. you can't, you know, I'm like, really? Did you talk to your kids about this? Are you sure? And you find yourself, you know, I don't need to list a home to someone else's in someone else's in distress. You know, it's more if the ends to it all is the home be, to be sold, and that's really what you want, then I'm there for you. But let's make sure that's what you want. Let's make sure that's what you need, because some people can get very emotional and, uh, and make poor decisions just on the basis of a bad time in their life. So I mean, this is all what becomes makes you kind of. You know, you talk about salespeople earlier. Well, I'll tell you, you know, what's your real good skill set? What's the skill set needed to be a really superstar agent? You know, you think about it. Well, you have to have a great humanitarian quality to yourself, right? I think you do need to be compassionate. I think you need to be articulate. Um, I think you have to put the client above your need, of course. You need to be aggressive, but yet with panache, you know, and I think... The term salesperson gets really, you know, personified as being, you know, a swashbuckling kind of individual. And mm -hmm. I think our industry has no room for that. And I don't really right. think when you look at the top agents in our board or even in the state, I don't really think that's their MO. And I don't even think if people were to define them, that's what they would define. So I think when you really get to the heart of, like, who's successful at this business, of course, that word's always relative, but if you define it by um, – transactions individually, sustaining longevity, 
a lot of it comes from just really fundamental roots, caring for people, working hard, um, yeah, all you, of that. I agree with you. And you can care until you're blue in the face, mm-hmm. but if you're not willing to follow up on leads, well, which is yeah. sales skills, yeah. if you're not willing to you know, run down your open house list and see if one of them might be yeah. interested in buying something, yeah. these transactions are not going to fall out of the sky. No, not at all. But to that, you referenced open houses. I mean, a true professional, you don't lose sight of doing them. I do them all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, how I you keep your, that's how you keep yourself sharp. That's how yep. you remind yourself what it's like. That's such a good point. I think there are a lot of agents that are new or maybe just newer, maybe five to ten years in the industry mm-hmm. that are like, eh, I'm I'm over the over, uh, yeah. open house phase here. Like, mm-hmm. I'm done with the open house. Yeah. I think open houses are not going away anytime soon. Like, right. for sure not going away. Right. It's one of the easiest opportunities for someone to come in mm-hmm. without feeling mm-hmm. any type of salesy, pushy mm-hmm. stuff and just see the house. No question. And so you're still doing them 34 years later. Yeah, I'm still doing them. I even make the coffee, dump the trash. You, know, you don't lose any of that because it makes you who you are. It reminds you of... I don't, just everything from the fundamentals to the, you know, it's, um, that's so important. And in fact, I find that's part of the problem. A lot of the agents are just thinking it's all, you know, snapping appointments, buying leads. Oh my gosh. That's a surefire way for yeah. these agents to go in the poorhouse overnight. I agree with you. Are Shouldn't you, be doing it. have you bought any Zillow leads over the last 10 years? Did you buy some and not a lot? What, what's your I think Zillow's? at one point, in t- it's going to sound terrible because I can't even tell you if I still had it or had it for a short time. It was a small... It was like Niantic zip for a certain amount. It was very small. On Zillow or something? Yeah, else? I think it was Zillow. Zillow. But to the no, I don't buy leads. You're, in fact, I yeah. get companies calling all the time that want to explain their new. Mary, we're looking. You're listing. the number one agent. Would you like some more leads? Can you handle some more leads? That's you know, they don't even script. say that. Half the time, they don't even know who they're talking to. Then you know for sure really? they don't even know what they're selling. No, they'll say, "I uh, we can." Some of them will have a b- bit of a backdrop, but don't you find some of them that call you, they have no idea who they're talking Usually about. Usually I get this one all the time. Byron, do you think you can handle any more listings? Hey, how much does it cost, buddy? I yeah. want to know right now or I'm hanging up. And then they, they won't tell you the cost. No, no. And it's, I won't buy that lead. I'll pay yeah. a referral, as any good agent would, yep. but I'm not going to buy leads. Why would I do that? Do you, uh, I, I hate it when they won't give me price over the phone. Do you give people commission over the phone, like right when they ask or up front before the appointment? Because there are a lot of agents that don't, and, and, yeah, and, I, and, and I, I see um, both sides of it. No, I hear your, I hear your point. Um, I find less people are necessarily asking that. That used to be a big question years ago. And I don't know if it's the speed and limit that, that, that it's too. in their head. They just have it in their head, and they kind of know the industry standard. Well, most people know we haven't gotten a raise. And it's funny. We talk about <laughs> units and all. I mean, I don't. I think probably my stellar income days were probably, you know, pre the bust. Really, when you think about it, um, it's because, well, particularly to our market, Connecticut has not Expenses really rebounded. Has gone up and, exactly. Yeah. Being your presence in the industry costs more. Um, if you did a hundred deals twenty years you're ago, you're losing money now. It it's, was yeah, yeah, yeah. You did so much better then than you do now. There's no question. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, so actually. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting, um, you know, how the track goes and uh, and who takes us to the finish line with all of this. But, um, and I can't say there's a right or a wrong. I think there's going to be a nice, you know, melding of, of all of what we've talked about. But, um, and I'm curious to a point of where it's going to go to. Um, I don't know. We're, we're rolling the tables around. Do you see, where do you see our area going in the next 
Unit-wise. Next five, gonna... uh, oh, unit-wise yeah, just yeah. specifically? Yeah, in the same kind of units. You think we're I mean, going to be gonna selling hit, more? We'll hit more units yeah. this year than we did last mm-hmm. year, which is the same since 2012. Right. Um, I think that in 19 specifically, if I have to go like, you know, like my, my um, prediction mode here, mm. I'll say 19 will be just as many as 18 or, or a little mm-hmm. bit more. I think I do think in the next five years we will go down in total units. Mm-hmm. But here's what I ultimately believe. All the technology and the way people are living, that we will actually see transactions happen quicker over the long term. Now mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm talking five plus years. Mm-hmm. I think transactions will start happening a lot quicker, mm-hmm. which will enable people to um, do a real estate transaction more frequently. Mm-hmm. So I think people are going to buy and sell more over the next 50 years than they did in the last 50. And I think that'll be across the board, our yeah. area included. Mm-hmm. And New England is kind of odd in that scenario, right? Like I go down and I spend some time in Florida and every time I'm in Florida, I study what's happening in mm-hmm. the market. I'm super interested in other markets. You, If you move from Ohio down to Florida and you buy into a gated community mm-hmm. of say 3,000 homes or something ridiculous, which we don't really have here, but they have these gated communities, 3,000 homes. Right, exactly. You buy in there and you buy a two bedroom and then you realize, oh my gosh, this was the right move for me and my family. I love this lifestyle. I love Florida. But I want bigger or smaller. But I want a three bedroom. Mm -hmm. And they'll literally sell and buy in the same community, Mm -hmm. which is why Florida has this ridiculously high turnover rate. People are like, I am free, right? I'm retired. Everything's and, and then twenty percent of them die too. So there's a turnover right there, by and so, There's you know. a lot, and yeah. so the turnover, yeah. is mm-hmm. re- or yeah. they decide they didn't like it, they move back home. Right. There's a lot of mm-hmm. there's a ton of turnover, but they're just like they just ripped the bandaid off in Ohio or Connecticut or wherever they're coming from. The bandaid of I've lived in the same house for twenty five years. Mm-hmm. I never moved. All this stuff. They just did it. They moved into a totally different state. Now it's like you talk to them five years later. They've bought and sold three times in Florida. Maybe they're coming back, buying something else. I just think our younger generation is going to buy and sell because they're going to rent longer, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? And they're going to oh, they will rent more longer, times. Yeah. They're going to get used to that. I don't think you're going to have a situation long-term where you see people staying in the same house for 50 years. Mm. Job has a lot to do. There's a lot of different Oh, yeah, there's variables. a lot of factors, yeah. yeah. Um, but... Our market overall, if I look at this, the disruption that's happening in real estate to the industry, if I look at our, our local market here, I don't think we're going to have any change in the next five years. We're, I mean, Open Door won't touch our market right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zillow Instant Offers won't touch our market. We're too small. We're too, mm-hmm. New England is too chopped up to put an algorithm behind, right? You can drive down any one of our streets in our neighborhoods and and it's a cluster of okay one house you drive by is 500,000 the next one is 250 and we're eclectic we're eclectic we're you know the the battleground for all of this new tech is Arizona Mm because you have these communities like I just mentioned in Florida Mm -hmm. where you've got 3,000 homes that all look exactly alike and their density's high there there's four floor plans yeah so it's it's just easier to disrupt that type of a market because you have scale where here it's very difficult to do that um, you also here have people that are very territorial, right? It's why every single one of our towns have four different town names. What do you, I thought 
I thought I was in Jewish City. Yeah, you are. <laughs> You're in Griswold. I'm in Griswold. What do I mean? Mm-hmm. You mean Patchog Pond? No, Griswold, right? Like, there's all these different zip codes, are, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mystic. People re- think Mystic is a town, right? And it's and it's really not. No. You know, so you have a lot of that here. I I don't think, but that doesn't mean that this change isn't coming. We're just getting a five year window head yeah. start here mm-hmm. in our industry change. Yeah. That's what that's what I believe. Yeah. Well, in part, you know, there really weren't a lot of industries in this area that were providing that transiency seed that you spoke of that's going to generate that type of density. You're starting to see some apartments be built and all to accommodate these rentals. But and then that'll attract some of those younger generations to come in and say, hey, I'm starting to work here and I'm going to rent, unfortunately, for a period of time, like you said. But until we have those industries that are going to put the pedal to the metal with people needing to move. Yeah. You're going to be with the people that grew up here or, you know, we're here for a oh, period of time. Certainly here locally, That's yeah. why we took such a, um, a gut punch when Pfizer went out because many people that did come were here for a period of time and then expected to, you know, they planted seeds. Yeah, if you're listening from uprooted. somewhere not local to here and you're in a place that has a lot of jobs coming in, that's a great place to stay. I mean, that's uh-huh. one of the things that I think holds us back certainly from our transaction numbers going up Uh is the fact that we don't have a lot of jobs coming in and so you've done it a long time mary you're how much and you're super successful so it's not uh, i mean i'm not counting your money but it's probably not for the money at this point right no 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 so how much longer do you think you'll do it and what is going to continue to drive you today because you you know you said you're not really into the numbers and you don't really know although let me say this because the podcast might be multi-purposed in that you know you have agents and i i do take heart to people coming in and people sort of aspiring to make this a career even though i've done very very well with this business when you leave this business or you retire out such as people like myself if you're in it 40 years right where do you you know you're gonna what are you gonna do go to another job you know so um (laughs) You have to make up for what you don't have coming to you from a pension, let's say. You have no pension. That's it. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have my brother, my sister, younger than me, and they're all getting ready to retire. Well, I still have a daughter in college, you know, and so forth. But, you know, so do I work, not working for the money per se, but I am working for a living still, of course. But if you're planning on making this a career, oh, you have to work hard in double time to actually be able to walk away from it as a career and not expect to be doing yet another job. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, you have to make up for what you don't get. There's just, honestly, if, if there's a bunch of people at the coffee pot that say, hey, that's great, happy retirement and have a cake, that's it. So there isn't a pension. There's no, um, you have to create anything or everything for yourself. And that's where a business really takes a tough turn for people. Um, and I'm not even sure there's enough broker involvement with that, to be honest with you. Definitely. Um, I don't think there's um, a real sense of caring on that level, Mm-mm. to be honest. I think that Agree they need you. to yeah. invest more time and energy in their people, just as other companies do. You know, you hear about companies that offer this on a Friday or that on a this or a health club. or a, Well, we get, you know. I'm not saying there's not donuts at a meeting, and I don't even agree with donuts at the meeting, but okay, yeah. they, they do them. They should forgo the meetings and the donuts, but it, <laughs> <laughs> they still like them. But they've got to start to change their mindset on how they want to cultivate and sustain a career agents. And when you're talking to some of the top people, 
And if you really look hard and long at the hours we've put in to where we are, I probably would have been better with a company with a pension, to be honest with you. But that's okay. I'm blessed to have done the job and and, and love it. What would you do if you retired today? What would you do with your time? You know, you've been um, working such long hours for right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I'll have to give some thought. Well, first of all, there's always um, I'm always you always want to be able to donate some time, a quality uh, of life to somebody else that might be less fortunate. Uh, whether it's any type of mentoring outside of this field, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're involved, which I am, I, you know, I, I'd like to be more involved in my church, you know, give back to some people, uh, maybe do something a little out of the box there. Um, maybe take a, a course, do stuff that I've not been able to do, you know, whether it's a cooking class, whether it's a dance class, um, do something a little bit more personal for myself, maybe health related too. That would be kind of fun. Um, family time increases. Um, I can take so some you have, more courses. Mary's been thinking about this. Oh no, well you, but you know what? <laughs> but those are things you do to sustain your mentality too. Yeah. With things you think, hey, you know, and so I, you know, when you had a long day or a long week or a long month, you know, you you sort of transport some of what you think, and you do things. Uh, you always try to pay forward a little bit. You know, you can make your day change just by helping someone out in a different way that you never even thought would come your way. But you do you know? think you'll 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 probably I don't know. I'm guessing. Do you think you'll be in this industry for the rest of your life, no matter what? You'll. you'll I think there's always a part of you. If I've been in it this long, and people like myself, I think you're always gonna. People oh yeah, yeah. Whatever. I think there's always gonna be there's a pulse within you that just keeps beating, and I think that um, I would um, be v- involved in some capacity and always sustain a license so that um, I can not only refer but to be. Um, maybe useful to somebody else. I mean, as the industry changes, who knows what they'll need, you know? Um, they just might need someone competent at open houses that doesn't mind doing them and gets paid to do them. I'd be excellent, wouldn't I? Because I, I know how to command the audience 100%. there. And then if you pay me, fine, that's okay. That puts butter in my bread for, you know, my retirement. Yes, <laughs> what do I care? But it, it's not like I'm selling per se, but I am. But yet I'm, I'm substituting, right? I'm the Vanna White at the day you know, the, of the day. At the, who knows where this industry is going to go? So you keep your options open. But, and if you stay, you know, on the curve of knowing your product and knowing your people and um, keeping those skill sets up, I think there's always a job for you in this business. It's a great business. And, and I, I agree with you that there will always be a job for people that know the business. Yeah. And, and because the industry is not going away. There will be some jobs that go away, but there will always be a job for those people that really entrench themselves. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Mary, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I really, really appreciate your time. And all, I mean, I don't know if anyone else got anything out of it. I'm certain they did, but I got a ton out of it. So selfishly, (laughs) I'm super thankful for you. That's okay. And thank you likewise. Anything you want to leave with? Any, you want to ask me, you want to say, you know, Hmm. anything at all. Um, Well, I know that I'm always available. I think, you know, I've always said true professionals in the business are always available to people that want to talk on a personal note, have a cup of coffee. Um, You're always sharing. There's nothing to hide because the fundamentals are what we're always talking about. And if people want to do that, and it's funny, nobody, very few people take advantage of it, even a lot of new agents. So they come up and ask you for some time just to say, hey, can you help me kind of quaff my... Way more people nationally totally different state yep will ask me opinions mm-hmm. and questions and stuff locally no right 
And it's amazing. And, you know, they'll want to complain about this or that, but it's like, wow. You know, if you want to invest in yourself, I'm happy to there to help. And um, I think it's um, – and, and I appreciate the reciprocity of anybody that the same. So um, I'm always there for that. And um, they're going to be surprised because there's no secret recipe. It's just a lot of hard work. Where can – and we'll link it up, obviously, on, on our end. But where could people reach out to you? Right yeah. down the street at the other Ravis office <laughs> at, and or my cell or my email. I'm, yeah, I'm always on. Let's, Mary.Pula let's, um, at Ravis.com. Mary.Pula at Ravis.com. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll link that up. Mary, really appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.